Welcome to New Hope Sermon of the Week. For more information about this podcast or other resources, please visit newhoperock.org. That's newhoperoc.org. Uh, I want to um, read Ephesians chapter 1 to you. We're going to dive right into this. How many of y'all ready for the word this morning? All right, get your Bibles out. Um, if you have a real paper Bible, then you are um, the chosen, beloved. Uh, you are the remnant. If you have the Bible on an iPhone, um, you're holier than those that have Androids, so that's good. So I know I, I, I'm just messing around, by the way. Like, Androids are cool. We, we actually just upgraded our streaming computer uh, to a, a PC, and we actually call it Skynet. And uh, amen. Those of you that have seen the Terminator know the reference. It is a super PC, so I'm not anti-PC, but I like iPhones. Praise God. So pull out your Bibles, if you would, and read with me. We're going to read in the New King James Version. Uh, how many enjoyed that time of worship? Yeah, come on. Uh, can we bring the house lights up just a little more? That would be good. I just want to be able to see people's faces a little bit better. Amen. Um, man, what a wonderful time of worship. Great job, team. Sarah and team, you guys did great. So good. Sounded good. Was it a little loud or it sounded good, right? Uh, we're not taking a vote, so I'm just asking your opinion, though. Um, it was just rich, man. So it's good to be in the presence of the Lord together. We, we should never take lightly uh, moments of worship where we experience God together. Amen? There's something about experiencing Him together that's quite different than when we're experiencing Him like in our prayer time or our worship time alone. Now, both of those are significant. Both of those are important. But I think we grow... Um, in a different way, in a different sense, when we learn to worship together. There's something about this harmony, this unity, where we become uh, like a symphony uh, as the body of Christ. And it happens in, in his presence, not just during worship. When we say worship, we usually mean like, uh, you know, when the music is going. But how many know worship is, is everything that we do? Uh, in, in to glorify him. So like right now, even during the, the message, you can continue to worship as you posture your heart. You can continue to experience God's presence as I preach. And, and I want you to know, like, anticipate that. Anticipate as you posture your heart to receive and open up, uh, you're going to get more. Amen. And, uh, and it's just, it's just called, you know, being teachable or, or being receptive or being open-hearted, and, uh, and it's, it's really powerful. And so this morning, I'm excited to share. Uh, first service was fun. I got to share some of this. This is some of my favorite portion of the Bible. So let's read Ephesians 1, and we're going to read it, New King James Version, starting at verse 3. Y'all ready? Okay. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. How many think that's a good word? You have been chosen by God. Verse 5, having predestined us, say predestined. He predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ himself. Side note, you know, when we look at that word, we have Western minds, and we start thinking like destiny is some fatalistic thing, 
and deterministic thing, and we are thinking about time and, and uh, our choices and all this stuff. But can I just encourage you uh, that I don't believe that's what the author, I don't think the Apostle Paul was trying to get us to think that way. I think what, what he was trying to say is that you were predetermined, like God uh, in his heart purposed for us to be in him. Uh, matter of fact, the Aramaic translation of predestination could be something like this, like you, God has marked you with his love. Changes everything. Uh, There's a commentary I was reading on Ephesians 1 one time, and I'm like, man, that makes so much sense, that Paul was using language that was related, predestination was language related to not time and foreknowledge, but geography, like, like the promised land. Like it was a, it was kind of a type and shadow, like the promised land is available for us to enter into, and, and all are chosen in him, like you, anyone can come. How many know that all, it's not based on a, a people group or a certain nation, God does not love nations more than others. He doesn't love, come on, there's one race, the human race. Can I get an amen? And there are multi-ethnos, there are multi-nations. And so it's, it's almost like the language is Paul saying, no, we're all created to enter into this promised land and we're, we're, uh, uh, it's open. The invitation is out there. Amen. I think sometimes when we try to get and analyze, this is when we come up with silly doctrines, man, and we're trying to figure out, and, and here's what we do is we're trying to posture ourselves. If, if God is omniscient, then being omniscient must be like this, and he must choose some for this and some for that. And I love one of my friends who is an Episcopal, charismatic Episcopal priest. He says this, God, uh, he said, you were not made for omniscience, so turn it off. Turn it off. Oh, man, we could try to come up with all these doctrines about predestination. Listen, I believe that it just simply means this. You are marked by his love to enter in the promised land, which is Jesus. Don't complicate it. It's simple. The invitation is open. Amen? All right. That has not much to do with the message, maybe a little bit, but I just thought I'd share that with you. Praise God. All right. Verse 6. Say this with me. To the praise of the glory of his grace. By which he made us accepted in the beloved. Now, this is powerful because Paul, first of all, he says, Blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Who's he talking about? Blessed be God the Father. I'll just give you a hint. Who is Paul writing about right here? The Father. Let's say it out loud. The Father. God the Father. And it says he's blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Are you thankful that you've already been positioned in God, and you are blessed, past tense, with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Man, can you imagine if we just got that one verse, verse 3, we would stop trying to get God to do things that he already wants to do, like he's already loving us. We don't have to earn his love. You know, we, we like pray these crazy prayers, and we 40-day fast, and uh, thank God I had the revelation that fasting doesn't get God to do things. Fasting positions my heart to partner with God to see him do things. Big difference. We've used fasting as this effort work thing where hopefully God will bring revival. Well, how about we just bring revival because we're sons and daughters of the living God. 
And we're always trying to get God to do so. This is what the Bible says. He's blessed us with every spiritual blessing. That means that you're blessed, so just receive it. So just walk in it and let it overflow to the people around you. Amen. So verse 7 then. I'm going real slow here. I need to keep moving. In him, now catch this. Verse 7, there's a shift. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sin. Who's the him that he's referring to in verse 7? How do you know that? Because it's the Bible. (laughs) Wrong. Well, it's kind of right, but it's kind of wrong. I'm just messing with you. Because he's talking about his blood. So there's a shift in language. Now, catch this. Paul says, God the Father, he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless in him in love. He marked us by his love to be adopted. As sons and daughters by Jesus Christ, come on. And then it says, to the praise of his glory. To the praise of his glory. And then he begins to talk about Jesus and what Jesus has done according to the riches of his grace. Verse 8, which he made to abound towards us. Who is us? Us is everybody. Us is all. Us is the cosmos. Us is the world. Us is not a religious elite. Us is not us and them. Us is not this political party or that political party. Don't get me preaching. Us is not me and I and we. Us is everybody. God loves everybody. God loves his enemies. Jesus told us, it's, it's written in Matthew, it's written. He says, it's written, love your neighbor And hate your enemies, but I tell you, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. In the heart of God and in the heart of Jesus is a love for humanity. And he says, having made known to us the mystery of his will according to the good pleasure which he purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times he might gather together one all things in Christ, both that are in heaven and on earth in him, in him Also, we have obtained an inheritance being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, that we who first trusted in Jesus should be, and then we see this again, to the praise of his glory. Say it with me. To the praise of his glory. There's that phrase again in verse 12. Two more verses. In him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom having believed you were sealed with what? The Holy Spirit. So now who's, who's Paul talking about here? The Holy Spirit. Who is the guarantee or the down payment. The Greek word there is erabon. We're going to talk about that later. Who is the seal, the signet of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession. And then one more time in verse 14, we see that line again, to the praise of his glory. To the praise of his glory. Do you know that this text was actually an early church uh, hymn? This was early church worship. How many love some good Bethel music, some good hill song? Come on, somebody. How many love some some worship that's going to come out of this place right here? Come on, somebody. We're going to keep writing songs. My daughter and I got to do a a worship album, but man, I'm telling you, bring the psalmist because we're going to write songs, and we believe that our sound is going to go all over the place. Come on. But how many know if there is a song that we could glean from, I think Ephesians 1 would be a good one, huh? 
Let's dive into this together. Pray with me if you would real quick, okay? Um, so that was the text. Now I'm praying. So now my preacher clock starts in about one minute and 32 seconds, okay? That's what you get for coming to the 11 a.m. All right, pray with me. Father, I pray that these people would forgive me for being like this. Okay, Lord, would you just open our hearts to what you have? We thank you for a wonderful time of worship. I thank you for this family of God. I thank you for the saints that I'm getting to know, those that I don't know well yet. I thank you for the family. I thank you for my family, my precious, amazing wife and my kids. Thank you that we can just be this morning. We don't have to do. We can get off the religious hamster wheel that we find ourselves on, and we can just be loved by you. And I pray that every person in this room would encounter your love in a greater way this morning. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Say amen with me, would you? No, I said amen. Okay. You know, I, I don't know about you, um, but this weather's not too bad, right? Can we say amen? It's a little hot out there. You know, I, I, I think it's possible. My wife and I and our family, we moved from Las Vegas. We, uh, we really feel like we're called to change the climate, and I think we actually might have changed the climate literally in the natural because... It's been drier and hotter up here since before I was born. And I'm not going to tell you how old I was, but those of you that know, we, it's been quite a while, though, like 40 years, and, uh, and it's hot and dry. Well, the other day, I'm looking at my grass right where we have this volleyball net in our backyard, and it's all yellow, and I got mad. I said, I want green grass. We don't have green grass like this in Vegas. We have turf. Turf is annoying, plastic stuff. You can't lay on it, and it's not soft. You don't lay a blanket on turf. I want green grass. So I said, it's time for some rain. So I said, Lord, I said, bring some clouds. I commanded the clouds. I said, clouds, come. The next day, it was raining. I'm like, oh, I'll take credit for that. Come on, somebody. <laughs> but how many love, like, the changes of season and, and all that stuff? And some of you guys are probably looking at me like, oh, wait, Vegas more, Pastor, wait till winter comes. <laughs> But listen, I'm from Denver, Colorado, so I know a little bit of the Four Seasons. I think I'll acclimate a little quicker than my native vegan wife and my five children, although they did love the uh, snow when we came out. Uh, but even then, sometimes you need a vacation and you got to get a change of environment. Can you say amen? And uh, I, I want to tell you a story about my wife and I, our 15-year anniversary, um, 15 years, that was over five years ago. Now we just celebrate, we're about to celebrate our 21 in a couple months. You better not forget this year. No, she's never forgot. That's guys do that stuff. Come on. But we're about to celebrate 21 years. Come on. That's such a blessing, right? And so we were celebrating our 15 years. It was kind of a milestone, you know? And, uh, and we're like, man, we got to do something special. So I'm, I'm like, honey, where do you want to go? She's like, take me out of the country. And she gave me this look, and it's like the look, husbands. You know when your wife gives you that look? Not the other look, but the look like, you better do what I say. Don't act like you don't know what I'm talking about. You're not that cool and alpha male. Come on. Every husband knows happy wife, happy life. And if you've been married under five years, you probably don't know that yet, so I'll give you a little wisdom. Happy wife, happy life. It's kind of like the look uh, that, that uh, Glenda Miller gave her husband, Ed, says, honey, we are moving to New York from Las Vegas to New York to go with the Wexlers. And Ed 
looked at her eyes. He knew exactly what that meant. Got on his phone, started applying for jobs. No joke. <laughs> so my wife said, honey, it's our 15 year. You're taking, we're not going to some resort. We're not driving to California. We're, take me to Mexico. I said, all right, baby, whatever you say. Happy wife, happy life. Amen. Good pre-marriage advice for those of you that are uh, thinking about getting married or engaged. And so I start looking online, and I'm looking at all these beautiful resorts. And then we start looking at Cancun, the Caribbean Ocean, which is like another realm of ocean. I mean, like we used to go to the Pacific all the time. It's beautiful. But the Caribbean, and so I'm looking. I find this resort, these resorts, and they're all-inclusive. Whoa, all-inclusive. What's that mean? Everything's included. Come on, somebody. The food's included. Oh, shandarabaha. That means... You can, that means you can eat as much as you want. <laughs> okay, anyways. You guys, apparently no one eats here. Everyone's fasting and praying all the time. Okay, so it's all-inclusive. And when you're hungry at midnight, you don't have to get up and go to the fridge. You can just call and say, bring me a pizza. <laughs> can you tell I haven't ate breakfast? Okay, everything's included, man. Right? For the sipping saints, the wine's included. All right? For the non-sipping saints, your beverages are included. The fun is included. Eleven AM service needs some Jesus up in here. So my wife and I find this resort and I find the best deal. We go and it's like we get there and we're greeted by these people in these uniforms and they're just so amazing. And they love us. And it's like, of course, probably because we paid, but they treat, they're treating us like kings and queens. Like we're like, all of a sudden we went from peasant to royalty like that. We walk in the, and they, they hand us some champagne drink or something. It was like orange juice. And, and I'm just like, <laughs> and we're checking in. We get like spa credit, massages. We go down to the beach. Okay, listen, my wife, th this is the experience. My wife doesn't love the ocean. You go to Newport Beach in California, and you can't really see the bottom. It's nice water. Like, it's nice. Trust me, it's nice, right? And, but my wife doesn't go in the water. I'm like, it's the ocean. It's amazing. It's like God's grace, honey. And I'm trying to spiritualize it so she gets in the water. No, I had a bad experience. I don't like the ocean. So we get at the Caribbean, though. We go out to the ocean. She sets foot in this blue-green water that's crystal clear. She was, it was almost to like when she finds a really good mall like she did yesterday, and she's just happy and like, oh, my God, I love this. It was like that. Oh, my God, honey, the ocean is amazing. And she's like literally skipping like a seven-year-old little girl. And I'm like, I've never seen you so happy. <laughs> it's her 15-year anniversary. So we go to the beach, man, all you, and you just order ceviche, and you just hang out on the beach. You have Wi-Fi, so you can post pictures on Instagram of your feet and the rest of the water and say, don't you wish you were here? Bam, you know. And what was so special about this, like, we had an amazing time. We were celebrating our love. We're celebrating 15 years together. And the people were amazing. I love the Hispanic people. They're beautiful. And, and one of the things they would say, and they're just their honor and their, their servitude, they would say this. When you thank them for something, they would say, it's a pleasure. Man, we loved hearing that. It's like, thank you. It's a pleasure. 
I mean, on the way home, we're on the plane. I'm like, hey, honey, will you hand me that? She's like, it's a pleasure. We were saying it for like three weeks, man. But what was powerful was they were serving us, and they were saying it's a pleasure to serve you. I remember I was reading this text, and I'm like, that story exemplifies the attitude when we step into who we are in Christ It is a pleasure to be other-centered. It's a pleasure to serve and love one another. Because love is not self-centered. Love is other-centered. We use the word love for so many things. I love ceviche, but I'm not going to marry ceviche, right? That would be weird. But we love things, but the word love can be used to describe so many things. But there's something powerful about this text when we're Diving in, first know this, that this was literally an early church hymn. And I believe Paul was trying to tell the church, which, by the way, the book of Ephesians is known as the Alps of the Epistles. It is known as the Grand Canyon of the Epistles. There was a revelation. It seems to be that there was a revelation Paul wanted to give the church of Ephesus. He spent two years there. His spiritual son was the apostle, the head elder over the church of Ephesus. This is just a little historical context. And Paul was trying to show them something. And I believe that as Christians, the reason I told you that story is I, I, we learned what all-inclusive was. We learned what honor and servitude was. We learned that we were, we were invited to the party. We learned what royalty was, what it felt like to a degree to feel like a king and a queen on our 15th anniversary. And can I just tell you this? In our Christianity, sometimes we're always trying to make the party. We're always trying to set the atmosphere. We're always trying to be somebody because we don't know we're somebody. Come on, somebody. We're always trying to create something. But let me just tell you right now, you've already been invited to the party. You've already been included to the party. You've already been adopted and chosen before the foundation of the world to be included in Christ and his life. And when we talk about worship, we're not talking about a practice first. Yes, worship is practice out. We live out our Christianity by loving the broken, loving the poor. We live out our Christianity by loving one another. Come on, and preaching the gospel. Can I get an amen? But one of the things that I think we have to get is before we know our position in Christ, before we know our practice in Christ, like, for example, holiness is not a practice until it's first a participation. Worship is a precipitation, not a precipitation. I'm still thinking about rain clouds. We participate in worship. You know that you can't worship God apart from him even giving you breath. Hello? In, In one sense, every type of praise that you give with your life and your voice, is only giving back the breath God gave you. Worship is participation. The same thing with holiness. We think holiness is I've got to live right before God, and I've got to, and it's like behavior modification. Can I just tell you something? Worship is not a practice. It's a participation. We partake of the divine nature. The reason that holiness uh, comes out of our lives, and we, the fruits of the Spirit, it's the fruit of the Spirit, not the byproduct of trying to live holy. The Spirit produces the, the abiding presence of God within us, produce fruits in our life. 
You don't tell an apple tree, grow apples. But that's what we do in church. Be holy. You can't be holy unless you realize Jesus has already made you holy. And this hymn, this this first letter or this first chapter in Ephesians is all about worship and participating in the life of Christ. And we're invited to the party. Look at the person next to you. Say, you're invited to the party. Now, don't overthink that, you guys. I'm not talking about real partying. Listen, I used to really party, and I don't really, I party in the Holy Ghost now. Come on, somebody. Ain't no party like a Holy Ghost party because the Holy Ghost party don't. Real partiers up in here. I remember this episode of The Office where Michael Scott, <laughs> who watches The Office, anybody? Michael Scott throws a party in his hotel room and nobody comes. And Jim, you know, shows up and he's there in the dark, strobe light, music, and he's like on his phone. He's like, hey, what's going on? He's like, is this a party? He's like, yeah, people have been trickling through all night. How many know the party you've been invited to, though? It's not just one person there. You've been invited into a relationship with God. And in that, God is not a single person. God is one, in essence, three persons. Now, this is important. I want to talk about this, and I'm going to tie it into the text, and I'm not putting it in the text. The text is actually exemplifying this. That every time Paul would speak of the Father, it ended with to the praise of his glorious grace. Then he talked about Jesus, and it ended with the praise of his glory, verse 12. And then he talked about the Holy Ghost. i got to say it like that. And it ended with to the praise of his glory. Why? Because this was a worship hymn to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Beautiful. One of the things that we learn... In the Bible, 1 John 4, 8, is that God is love. Can you say that with me? God is love. Do you know that there are only two axiomatic statements in the Bible, uh, aside from where Jesus says God is spirit, but I think that was more about God in where he dwells in the spirit realm. But there are two axiomatic statements in relation to uh, the Bible talking about in the New Testament who God actually is. Not, not an attribute, right? An axiomatic statement. Can I teach you a little bit? It is a self-revealing truth, okay? So it's a verb to describe a noun. An axiomatic statement, one of them is God is light. That's an axiomatic statement. The other one, there's only two in the New Testament, God is love, and it's found in 1 John 4, 8. Now, when we say this and when we understand the historic Christian faith, the reason the God we worship, the God revealed in the scriptures, and the God uh, revealed in Jesus, in the life of Jesus, the self-revelation of God in Christ, it's different than the God of Judaism. It's different than the God of uh, modern-day Judaism, right? Uh, it's different than the God of Islam. It's different than any uh, polytheistic religion or monothe, and we're not monotheistic in the same sense that an Islam would be. How many know that? Because they believe in a God that's just one person. And they might believe, I don't know a lot about Islam, I know enough though, to know that they believe that, that Allah is loving, but they wouldn't say Allah is love. You can't be love in essence unless 
there is persons involved. In other words, love necessitates a, uh, a, a personal relation to another. This is why it's so profound that the triune God revealed in Scripture and in the life of Jesus reveals to us that love, hear me, is not something God does. It's something that He is. Because before creation, before there was sin, God was still holy. How could he be holy? Because when we think about holiness, we think about well, set apart from sin. How could God be holy before there was sin? The holiness of God described the otherness of the love between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I almost went like this, Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. All the former Catholics are like, thank you, Jesus. Why is this important? Because when we talk about the Trinity, when we talk about worship and participation, you've been invited into relationship with God. You've been invited into relationship itself. God is relationship. God is the source of what it means to relate to another. God is the source of what it means to be other-centered, self-giving, and sacrificial. God is the source of what love looks like, and he showed us through his son. Even till spreading his arms open wide. Even till what the early church would say, the scars on Jesus' hands are an everlasting reminder of the humility of God. Forever etched into the physical glorified body of Jesus are the scars he bore to show us his love. Wow. Wow. God is love. And when we say that, there is a revelation that love is not something God does. It's who he is. You know what that means? Here's the implications, guys. If we believe in a solitary God, meaning a God like Islam, like a God who loves, but he's not loving his essence. In other words, it's just another characteristic of God. And in a lot of Western Christianity, love is just a characteristic of God. Can I tell you, love is not a characteristic of God. It is the essence of who God is. And this is what the historical Orthodox Church has believed for 2,000 years. Let's get back to the heart of the gospel. The gospel is all about love. And Ephesians 1 shows us what that is. Ephesians 1 shows us that we've been invited into this wonderful, glorious relationship into God. And love, because love is who God is, we don't have to get stuck on this silly, religious hamster wheel in our Christian faith where in the back of our mind, we're thinking, did I do something to where God won't love me anymore? Now, hold on a minute. Hold on a minute. We've all done it. And sometimes we still do it. And if we don't get this revelation that God is love, in the back of our minds, we'll find ourselves leaning back into this it's entrenched in our men mental capacity. It, we, we fall back on this thing like, well, well, maybe the reason I'm sick is because I, I sinned or maybe I did something. Maybe I thought bad and, and maybe, and we go into this thing where we've got to, if I don't please God just right, he won't love me. And can I just tell you that is the opposite of the God that Jesus reveals to us. God's disposition towards us is love because that's who he is. Come on. Now, that doesn't mean we can do whatever we want. That's silly. Well, then you're just pastor. You're just saying that we can just sin and do whatever we want. No, just the opposite. The love of God is the most transforming power in the earth. When I know that I'm loved, I don't act the same. 
When I know that I'm loved, I love myself and other people, so I stop doing stupid things. When I know that I'm loved, I'm changed on the inside. When I know that I'm so loved by Jesus that God became flesh and he did what he did to take on my fallen humanity and now I am redeemed and joined to his divinity so there is wholeness and healing to my identity. Therefore, there's change in my behavior. And there's a powerful truth in understanding this revelation. There's a, a word that the early church used to describe the relationship between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And this word, say it with me, perichoresis. This is a word that basically means mutual indwelling or oneness without the loss of distinction. Not only do we see it in the Trinitarian God, but there's an expression or a resounding of that type of life in relationships in marriage, family, and community. So if we are not doing relationships, family, marriage, community well, church, then we're missing out on perichoresis. Are you hearing me? Because inside, if you could just imagine, I'm, I'm metaphorically speaking, because God's everywhere, but metaphorically, I'm, I'm right in the center of this, what the early church calls perichoresis. One of the ways... Uh, they would be translated as like a divine dance or a flow. It's just like this flow. Uh, the, the, the Father is the Father, not the Son. The Son is the Son and not the Father. The Spirit is the Spirit, not the Father. But there's this oneness in essence, but there's this relationship. There's a oneness without the loss of distinction. That is what the Trinity is about. And let's just say that on this carpet, I'm surrounded by the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. In other words, I'm right in the center of perichoresis. I'm, I'm yielding to this, the reality of who God is in, in my life, love that's in my life. Guess what cannot exist here? Offense. It dies. It's like taking a virus, stupid COVID is one of them, hanging out in the, in the hot sun, dies. You put it on Vegas asphalt in the middle of August, oh, it's going to die for show. That asphalt is hot. You could fry an egg on that in Vegas. I mean, there's times that it's literally like 120 degrees on a really hot summer day. Y'all think you know what heat is. Now, you guys will show us what cold is for sure. But how many know in the heart of God, offense, bitterness, awe, strife, hold on, racism cannot exist in there. Hatred, harming one another, violence toward one another cannot exist in perichoresis. Are you all feeling me this morning? Can't, you cannot dance with God and try to do other stuff. The divine dance, and we're called to live that out. We're called to hear the rhythm of his grace and hear the rhythm of his love and just jump in that flow. It's like those of you that are entrepreneurs, you know, when you get in the workflow, you're just in the groove, Right? You know the saying, like, get my groove on? Like, there's something about just getting your groove on, and you're in the workflow, and you're closing deals, and you're making it happen. It's the same sense. When relationships are working really good, you're in the flow. You're living in the life that God created you to live in, which is in him, in Christ, in his love. Can you say amen? One of the ways to translate these three phrases we see at the end of verse 6, verse 12, and verse 14, the Father, the Son, the Spirit, where it says, to the praise of His glory, one of the ways, if I could paraphrase, is 
The word praise doesn't mean like in the Old Testament where it says like there's different words for praise, but mainly when we praise in the Old Testament is to praise God and laud him for what he's done. This word is different. It's more of an adoration and exaltation for who he is. And when we say to the praise of his glory, we're saying adore him and behold him for who he is, his glory. Now, how many know that the glory of God uh, is like Moses said, show me your glory. And then God says, no one can see my face and live. A lot of times I think we just take it literally and we're like, oh, can't see God's face and live. That might be the case. But what if God was saying, I, I don't know this for sure, but what if God was saying, if I revealed to you who I am, if I revealed to you my heart, which the old covenant people were not ready for, they might have just killed Moses because they're like, I don't want that. I want a religion like all the other religions that are going on right now. What's interesting to me, if you just stay with me for a little bit, I'll be closing in about five minutes. It's interesting that in the Hebrew language, the word face, Moses said, show me your face. The word face means from before time. What if Moses was saying, I want to know how it all started, and not just that, I want to know what happened before it all started. And God says, you can't understand that. You can't handle the truth, son. He was saying, no, you, you, you won't understand that revelation. From before time, didn't Jesus pray in John 17, Father, I want them to know the love that you and I had before time began? What if we ask God, show us your glory, and we're saying, give us a deeper revelation of your love? Wow. To the praise of his glory. Over and over, to the praise of his glory. James B. Torrance said this, the prime purpose of the incarnation, you guys know what the incarnation is, right? It is the, 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 the event of God becoming human in the person of Jesus Christ, Okay? This is what James B. Torrance said, very well-known theologian. The prime purpose of the incarnation is to lift us up into a life of communion, a participation in the very triune life of God. That's the gospel. God called you to live into this triune life, this perichoresis, this divine dance. Matter of fact, it's almost like he's saying, would you dance with me? Would you get up? Can you hear the rhythms of my love and grace? Stop spectating. Just get up and learn the flow. Learn to live the way I created you. Well, I, but, but God, I, I have this addiction and I, I can't. It keeps me from dancing. And No, no, that, that, that's the whole point. When you start dancing, you'll realize that that addiction is like a third shoe. You don't have no time, place, or energy for it. But God, I get angry and I, I don't want you to be mad at me. God's like, if I was mad at you, I wouldn't be asking you to dance. God's not mad at you. He's mad about you. And he'll love the crap out of you, literally. Literally. Loves it out of us. All the broken places. And if we allow ourselves to be loved by God, transformation takes place. The prime purpose of the incarnation, why God became human in the person of Jesus, is to lift us up into communion and a participation in the triune life of God. That's what we were created for, church, to be accepted, to be loved, to be known, to know God, and to know one another. But we're so busy trying to create a party, we can't enjoy the one we've been included in.
looking for love, looking for significance, looking for acceptance. And it's right here. I want to close by reading just a couple verses that we went over in the message. He says it this way in verse 4. Long before he laid down earth's foundations, the Father had us in mind. He settled on us as the focus of his love to be made whole and holy by his love. Long, long ago, he decided to adopt us into his family through Jesus Christ. And what a pleasure he took in planning this. Did you know that you are God's favorite? I tell all my kids, you're my favorite. Don't tell the other kids. God's love is that big and inclusive that every single one of you can be his favorite. Matter of fact, we always quote the scripture. Well, he knows every hair on our head. He has them numbered. And we think that Jesus was exemplifying the omniscience of God. No, he was not. He was exemplifying how significant you are because he says, look at the birds of the air. When they die, the Father knows how much more valuable are you than they. In other words, if you could just metaphorically just get this picture, God's so close and he is just loving you that he has time to just sit through and count every single hair on your head. Come on. And for some of us, it's easy. Come on, guys. You know, all the people that have, like, all the men who have less hair, that just means God kisses your head more. You're his favorite. But think about that. Paul's saying, this is the way Eugene Peterson translated You are the focus of his love. He, you are marked by his love. Come on. He knows every hair on your head. Jump down to verse 11 and 12. In Christ, we find out who we are and what we're living for. Wow. Long before we first heard of Christ and our hopes go up, he had his eye on us, designed us for glorious living. Come on, who's ready for glorious living? Part of the overall purpose, he's working out in everything and everyone. Christ in you, once you heard the truth and believed it, you found yourselves home free, signed, sealed, and delivered by the Holy Spirit. Signed, sealed, delivered, I'm your... Oh, sorry. This signet, this down payment, this seal is the Holy Spirit to guarantee our inheritance. So then he talks about the third person, the Godhead. I want to talk about, in closing, this word down payment. Do you know this word could either mean, usually it's one of three things. The first thing would be earnest money. If you've ever bought a house, you know that usually the seller uh, wants earnest money deposit to guarantee that you're going to finish the contract. So if it's a $100,000 home, it might be a $5,000 earnest money or $3,000 or whatever. And if it's non-refundable, that means if you don't buy the house, the seller gets to keep that money. In one sense, the Holy Spirit is like this earnest money deposit. The other uh, definition could be, it's the Greek word erabon, this word down payment or earnest money deposit. And it also could be like a signet, like a seal that was used to certify or validate a letter or validate uh, a withdrawal on something valuable. The other one, which I like the most, because I think it exemplifies what Paul's saying, is an bond would be something that 15 plus years before my wife and I went on that wonderful vacation in Cancun, Mexico, when we were falling in love and I chose her, the groom chose the bride. I chose her and I said, I want to spend the rest of my life with you. 
The same way Jesus chose us, the Erebon would be when I take a knee and I pull out a ring, come on somebody, and I give her the ring. The Erebon is a Greek word for engagement ring. What if the whole gospel story is Jesus taking a knee and saying, would you be one with me? And would you be my beloved forever? Come on. This is what Paul was saying. And in this life of worship, not only do we learn who we are, our position, not only do we practice out our Christianity, but we first learn that we participate in the very life of Jesus. That we get to participate in this intimate relationship with the Father. The same love the Father has for Jesus, He has for us. Come on. Years ago, I was so frustrated, and uh, I was complaining to God. And I'm like, God, nothing's working out. Uh, I'm in ministry, and it's like things just aren't moving as fast as I would like. And I'm, I'm complaining to the Lord. And this is what I heard the Lord say, and I just want to resound it over us today. Before we pray, the Lord said this. It was like I heard him saying this. Son, open your eyes and see what I'm doing. Look around at the lives that are being transformed by my love. And then he simply said this. And you know what? By the way, I'm so proud of you. Keep doing what you're doing. In that moment, all the disappointment and frustration completely vanished. Have you ever been at a place in your life where you're just not content? The key to being content is just choose to be content. Posture your heart towards gratefulness. And this is what the Lord said. I heard his voice, man. He said, I'm so proud of you. And that affirmation from the Father broke away all that stuff. And what did it do? It just put me right in the center of the flow, that divine dance, living in the perichoresis, living in this reality. I want to encourage you, church, read Ephesians 1. Read it in different translations. Soak it in. Understand it was an early church hymn about the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Would you close your eyes and pray with me before we go? How many of y'all enjoyed this morning? Come on, just wave at me. Say, yes, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Father, I pray right now. I want to ask every one of you, just lift your hands. Dim the lights, if you would, please. House lights down. Lift your hands with me and just say this with me. Say, Father, teach me to let me love you. But teach me first to be loved by you. I receive your love in Jesus' name. Father, I pray for every heart. I pray for every life right now. I break every word that has been spoken contrary to your word, every label, every arrow, every form of rejection. The acceptance of the one can heal the rejection of many. And Father, I pray every person in this room would experience the acceptance of the Father, that they are chosen, that they are loved, and that they were given an engagement ring. And Father, we thank you for the precious, precious down payment, the Holy Spirit. We thank you, Holy Spirit, for being with us and teaching us what all this means. I pray that we would participate in this life so that we could learn who we are in Christ and then we could practice it and live it out by loving the world and loving the broken, and loving one another. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Come on, say amen with me. Amen. 
Thanks so much for listening to this week's message. Our prayer is that you've heard a now word for your own life and experienced the life-changing presence of God.